This is episode number 236 of the Well-Fed Women podcast. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm Noelle Tarr. I'm your host. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, certified personal trainer. Today I have on my bestie, Steffi. We used to call her Steffi back in the day, but I don't know if people still call her that. More on that in a minute. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about taking care of yourself while also taking care of others, letting go of control, super fun topic, and problematic periods. We're also going to be talking to Stephanie about where the heck she is and what she's doing now. Before we do, let's jump into our wonderful sponsors, Fabletics. Go to fabletics.com slash wellfedwomen. They make beautiful leggings, tops, and accessories, so they do do sports bras as well for a wide variety of activities. They also have size uh, plus sizes. They have a full line of plus size clothing. You just When you go to the website, you can actually click on the plus shop, and they have a beautiful array of prints and sizes. You can get two leggings for only $24 by joining their VIP program through our link, which is fabletics.com slash wellfedwomen. That's how you get access to discounts and new styles monthly. I think the fit on their clothing is awesome. They're true to size and they aren't see-through. And yes, I have tested all of mine out. And true story, I actually, which I just remembered this, I had a creepy guy who worked at the chiropractor's office that I was at way back in the day. This is when I was in a different state, not at the chiropractor met now. And when he was working on me, he told me my leggings were see-through. And I was, like, mortified. I'm like, why would you – Why just look away. Don't even tell me that. Anyway, <laughs> so I'll go deeper into that story in another time if anybody cares. Get your leggings from Fabletics. So super awkward conversations at your chiropractor's office does not happen. Fabletics.com slash women. When you go use our link, fill out the interactive survey that um, pops up, and you'll get – the styles and the sizes and the complete outfits customized to you. Get some prints and, you know, wear your favorite colors and don't be scared to stand out. Hi, Stephanie. Hello. Hello. So we just got on and our conversation was like, hey, how are you? And I was like, oh, no, how's it going? I said, it's going. <laughs> you said, uh-oh. <laughs> I said, how's it going with you? It's going. I was like, can we just start so we can just... Get all this all in the podcast. Apparently, this is a Struggs. Here's another throwback word. This is a Struggs time for Steph and I. I'm more interested in you, though, because I find your life much more fascinating than mine at the moment. So last we chatted, you were struggling because you were potentially getting the boot from your college. Mm-hmm. So, Does anybody want to guess how that went? <laughs> okay, I guess you got the boot. Yes, I did. Okay. I had to um I had to go in front of like 30 members of the Lineker governing body and be interrogated for an hour and a half. What? Yeah. And uh and then they deliberated for I think quite a long time after I left. Every, like we all had to wear formal gowns, like formal academic gowns. Like it was a very serious deal and everybody came like just really? for this. So these like 30 people had to show up because I wanted to, you know, ask them to reconsider their decision, but also they needed to reconsider their decision because they didn't follow disciplinary procedure. And I really, really, really wanted them to understand that they messed up. Um, so anyway, so all of that happened and, uh, they did not change their minds. So I actually, just before getting on the call have started the first step of moving, which is always throwing away everything possible. You think you can get away with throwing away. Yes. So um, I'm throwing stuff away and I'm moving out. Unfortunately, the I, I do have um, new student housing in, in another part of the university, obviously, because I'm not allowed back here. You will recall if you listened to the last episode I was on, not allowed back at my home. So I'm moving to a new part, but it's not available until two weeks after I'm kicked out of here. So um, I have to move twice, which is fine. 
it's inconvenient. It's fine. And I just, I just so much was like, I just want to move on, you know, like this is painful. It sucks. I just want to move on. And now I'm stuck, you know, the hottest month of the year, like couch surfing with different friends for the, you know, for two weeks. And um, I've got so much stuff I'm trying to get done. And I just like, it's very hard to do when you're, you know, dislocated. They didn't care that they didn't follow proper disciplinary procedures. No, they did not. Or that you weren't convicted of anything. Nope. That's crazy. Yep. I'm not surprised. Apparently, you know, a couple of my friends are very integrated into, you know, the structure of the university here at Oxford. And A, it's an exceedingly regressive place. Don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. Top university in the world. (laughs) And they really don't like to like set precedence of overturning their decisions because then like, then they'll have to keep going to appeal hearings all the time. <laughs> um, because people will just start appealing decisions all the time. Now, obviously um, that might not be the most ideal outcome for me or just decision for people generally speaking, but um, that, it, I don't know, kind of explains why they did it kind of. So how has this affected you emotionally? I mean, do you feel like your mental and emotional health has been kind of rocked as well? Or, I mean, as well, but I mean, I know physically you're trying to manage now two moves and all that, but how has this spilled out into the rest of your life? Well, I did my mourning when I first was notified I was banned, which was at the beginning of June. So it's been six weeks now, almost seven weeks um, throughout the whole process. So it was really, really hard. Like I've lost things and people in my life. This was probably, this was one of the harder ones. Um, It really is like being kicked out of your family, you know, the same people you see every day in the same environments where you feel really safe. And um, it was, it was very, uh, very hard. And it is like last night I created a little like Facebook event for like Steph's going away goodbye and uh for some people and it's been hard because some of the students like I just I don't feel like I I don't know I I don't necessarily feel like I belong anymore but um I created this Facebook event and the picture I like found a sad dog staring out a window in the rain you know (laughs) and like I wrote a little paragraph it just like explaining to people why like I haven't been around at all I leave as early as I can in the morning I come back as late as I can at night and I just was explaining to people why. And that was definitely like pretty emotional. And when we have that goodbye on Friday, like, yeah, it'll probably be pretty like it will be and it'll it'll continue to hurt. But I have no choice but to look at it, to reframe it positively and to try to see it as an opportunity, you know, to grow and to change and to build new things in my life. So um, it's hard, but I'm doing it. It's fine. You know, it's fine. <laughs> Is it? Is it right now technically summer break or is there no such thing? I mean, the university isn't like, yes, they're technically on break, but um, people, researchers are never on break. So I'm I'm never on break, but the university, you know, um, doesn't have, isn't like teaching classes right now. Got it. Yeah. So you're, are you okay with where you're moving to or? It's just, it's just, it's still on the university. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it should be good. It's under construction and it's right next to the train station, which are two things that are not ideal, but I've been sleeping a little bit more like a normal person, you know, like on a normal schedule and feel pretty, I feel healthier about that. And on the other side, then my room faces the other direction and it's, facing gardens which are then next to this giant field called port meadow where cows and horses graze and you can go like walk with the cows and horses because that's something that happens in england like you can intermix with the animals in fields (laughs) and uh yeah and so it'll be really nice to live over there and it's it's kind of in the like quote-unquote trendiest area of oxford if there is one uh where there's hipster cafes and wine cafes and and stuff like that so and I have friends in the area so it it could turn out pretty nice I just um I get very anxious when I'm alone all the time and it's very very easy for me to be alone all the time you know so I'm gonna have to be really intentional um about 
being around, you know, setting up structures in my life and, and stuff so I can be around people. It's yeah. really hard making friends as an adult. It's really hard. And when you yeah. find friends, picking up and moving and being in a different place, it takes years to, like, mm-hmm. find a friend again. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's so draining. It's like dating again, you know, for <laughs> adults and parents. It's really, it's weird. It's It's hard. Yeah, well, I'm in a university town, and I'm single, and I don't have children. So, like, the worlds that you and I, you know, that the, the circles that we inhabit are totally different. You know, you're going to, like, make friends at the preschool. Park. Yeah, yeah, preschool. And the park and, and, you know, mommy, like, groups and stuff. And I'm still at a university where people, like, go to lectures and then go out to the pub, you know. So yeah. I, I can I can do that sort of I can do that sort of thing. It's still exhausting as heck, you know, um, for somebody who's so radically introverted like me, which I know nobody believes because it's my job to podcast Mm -hmm. and do social media. But trust me, like I am a I am a cave monster. (laughs) It is a little hard to believe. I will say you are you are an outgoing soul when you are out with friends like you're not when I have to be. Oh, my God. When I absolutely have to be. I spend 10, at least 10 hours of every day, completely silent by myself, like 10 very minimum. <laughs> That's a pretty long time. And I'm, th- I'm guessing you you like that. Yeah, it comes very naturally to me. Yeah. Um, but like I have also learned that just because it comes naturally doesn't necessarily mean it's the healthiest thing. And so that's why living at, at Lineker at this community has been so important for me. And that's mm. why I need to remember to be really intentional about uh, like having friends to just work next to or something, you know, and yes. and, and that sort of thing. Because um, sometimes what comes naturally to us is not necessarily what's best for us. And I think all Oof, of us. That's a good life I think, lesson. I think all of us know this. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good life lesson. Yeah. 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 Things that come naturally aren't always healthy for us. I'd say a lot of things that just our tendencies, our personality types. There's a lot of things that people do that aren't necessarily healthful. So we have to make effort to make sure that that doesn't become, you know, we don't become wrapped up in that. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about all the stuff that's going on with you? Cause I think it's probably also, you know, we might get into it with this first question. I will say I, I was a little bit terrified Last time we talked because my husband went back to work. And if all of you don't know, he works shift work. So he sometimes doesn't get home until 1130. Sometimes he doesn't overnight. So it makes it a little, there's less consistency, which is not really my style. And it also means that sometimes I'm doing dinner in bed by bedtime by myself. And so I was a little bit nervous of, of how that went. And the first night that we did that, it was as bad as it seemed. I would... Compare it to playing dodgeball against two NFL uh, quarterbacks, except Mm -hmm. when they hit you with the ball and you're out, they don't care and they just keep throwing the ball at you. That's basically what putting two babies in bed is like, because my so the challenge here is still Stella Bella. She is still so intense and very... We're in a phase. We're in a phase where there's lots of hitting and, you know, dis, like disobedience. And there's a lot of Stella, don't do that. And then she does it. There's a lot of please sit down here and let me change your diaper. And she runs away. And so um, most of you who have had kids will know the evening is what is known as the witching hour where babies start to get a little bit more fussy because they're just tired. They're usually sometimes they want more milk. They just they're just winding down the day's been overstimulating they have emotions they need to process all the things and so for like the last two to two let's say two hours of the evening from like six to eight maverick is fussy and crying needs to be held needs to take a little cap nap and of course this is when stella like her energy goes through the roof on a scale of one to 100 100 and i like i'm just grasping to try to like get her to follow me up the stairs to try to get her like in a bedtime routine so i will say um i really appreciate the pbs kids app at this moment because it's been a fantastic babysitter and i have done more screen time than i ever thought that i would need or or do um i'm pretty sure i was that 
that person before I had kids that was like, mm, my kids are never going to watch TV. And sure enough, my two-year-old watches like Mary Poppins, the movie, at least once a day. Uh, Walt Maverick takes his nap so that she will stay quiet. And then we watch Mr. Rogers <laughs> at bedtime. So much so. So she, so while I'm nursing Maverick and trying to get him down, she sits in our bed and watches Mr. Rogers. And uh, so much so that I'm like, hey, Stella, we need to go upstairs. It's time to go night-night. And she goes, Rogers, Rogers, Rogers. <laughs> like, okay. So my kid knows her day based on the shows that she watches. That is where we're at right now. But it's okay. And I think the the strain that is the hardest part is that um, it's sort of mentally draining. And I can't really explain it other than you're constantly talking to a baby and or a toddler and you're either holding one or both of them and so you never really get a mental reprieve you never get to like turn your brain off for a second and I of course love my work I love what I do I love I think that that's where I actually get my um, I get re-energized by doing work and so it's a whole lot of drain 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 and no nothing filling me back up and it's just a phase of life and this phase of life is really really hard but like personally for me it's just been a struggle because we're I mean my husband is helping as much as he possibly can he's doing everything he can to help me be able to get things done and work and obviously he's he's home right now and taking care of um, Maverick and that's all wonderful but like we are literally both going at a hundred and we just like cross paths every now and then and say hi to each other but that's essentially how it is it's like handing off a kid or handing off another kid or i'm going to bed now and then he tries to pick up maverick in the mornings for me so i can get an additional like hour of sleep before stella gets up so it's just like i think we're just both so drained i'm totally mentally drained and it's because i really do like you know to work and do the things and um my i will say a huge blessing in my life i know a lot of you were um <laughs> praying for me because of my back situation you know my back doesn't hurt which is cool but i underestimated the weakness that that would cause like the fatigue like imagine if you were laying in on the couch for like three months you know that that does that does a number on your body and so even just standing walking around all that stuff my back is so weak and I have the weirdest, I feel so old. I have the weirdest aches and pains now. Like my knee is locked up for the last few days. So I like can't really get up the steps appropriately. And it's because I keep, that's how I rock with that knee in the rocking chair. <laughs> I sound so old. And um, so it's just working through those little things. And it's it's been hard because like I haven't recovered that that well this time around. Like this is my second baby in less than two years. And I thought it would just kind of happen just like I did with Stella. And this time has been so much harder in terms of recovery for my body. Um and I will be honest, I, you know, there hasn't been a lot of like easy like with Stella, my body just kind of went back to a set point that felt good and I was able to get into my jeans again and all that stuff. And it did not it has not happened this time around. I still, truthfully, still feel pregnant. And the weight that I lost was really just the weight of Maverick and the placenta and the water and stuff. And nothing has really come off since then. And I know we talk about it all the time on here about how weight is not the focus, especially this early on. But to me, it's just an example of, oh, wow, my body still is really having a hard time recovering and I'm still under a lot of stress. And yeah, this this time around has done a number on me. And so I... It, it does mess with me mentally. I'm like, I still feel like I just had a baby yesterday. Like, what's going on? So, um, you know, it's like something I have to work through every day. <laughs> it's like a mental, t you know, you have, and I know that we've talked about that we, you and I both still struggle, you know, we have to work through, like, we have to work with and make sure that we have the right mindset and mentality around whatever, body image, food, health, fitness, all that stuff. Um, but it just, just gets especially challenging when you're like, why is my body not doing the things that I would ex like why is it not recovering why am I still here so that's a lot sometimes I feel like I should be laying on a couch when I'm talking on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> should be laying on a couch and saying what do you think Stephanie tell me what to aren't, do aren't you laying down I'm laying down <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm just kidding I'm like I'm I'm in a chair but I've, I'm Reclining. I'm in a very like I'm melting in a chair, you know, when melting when you start, in a chair, you start at 90 degrees yeah. and then you're like, Meh. yeah, that's where I'm yeah. at. 
Yeah. Anyway, oh my dear. Well, so, yeah. So this it's funny because I've been scheduling when we schedule podcasts and stuff. I kind of get excited because I'm like, I get to talk to an adult. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear. I mean, I hear. I hear moms and dads say that sort of thing all the time, you know, um, and it's like such a relief when you're watching The Incredibles 2 for like the hundredth time and you like get to the adult joke part. Yeah. <laughs> you <know? laughs> you're like, oh, that joke's for me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Hey, they did that for us. Yeah. Did you ever watch Toy Story back in the day? Um, well, it's funny you should say that because I know that a new one just came out and all my friends saw it and cried, but I stopped... <laughs> I stopped watching movies years ago, so um, I don't have watch seen, movies. Like I'll watch them on planes, and if I'm snuggling with somebody who's a really keen snuggler, you know, okay, um, which we could maybe talk about next time I'm on the podcast. And uh, <laughs> I was more thinking, me and you, like, oh, we should take a plane ride together and see if I'm a if we get a, if I get to get a movie out of you. Oh, I'm a good snuggler. I, well, if if we're on a plane, yeah, I'll, I watch movies on planes. Um, sure. Um, oh, you mean if I like come If I'm a good snuggler. (laughs) Well, you're saying if you have a good snuggler, you watch a movie. So I was saying, let's see how I do at snuggling. Okay. I think I'm a pretty good snuggler. Although at this point I'm, I'm touched out. So (laughs) I may be like, can you not touch me? (laughs) Can you, can you move your elbow so that it's not touching my elbow? Thanks. Uh, It's so funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, so what are you going to say? I've seen some toy stories. Why? Oh, it's just a huge deal right now since Toy Story 4 came out. And it, yeah. you know it came out when we were kid, like the perfect age for that, Young. like 7 yeah. to 9. Yeah, so I loved Toy Story. So we have bought Toy Story 1, 2, and 3 and already pre-ordered 4 because guess who is obsessed with Buzz? Stella Bella. Stella. So, yeah. Buzz. Watch Buzz. Watch Buzz. She loves, loves, loves <laughs> it, which is fine because they're great movies and you can watch them over and over again and... We really have only done that in Mary Poppins, and um, we did do Monsters, Inc., and she loves that one, too. So it's just we're trying to, like, slowly integrate movies and see what she enjoys, and yeah. Anyway, Toy Story. It's fun. She's going to be Buzz Lightyear for Halloween. Yeah, she is. And then Ma- awesome. Maverick is going to be a little alien. Aww. The little, the claw, the, those aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> do you do Halloween anymore? <laughs> no, well, I don't do anything anymore. <laughs> I don't watch movies. <laughs> I don't talk to people. What, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do with your life? Oh my god, nothing apparently. Nothing. Um, you do this podcast. I stare at a computer screen and try to get people to follow me on Instagram. <laughs> for the love of God. <laughs> oh. Okay, I'm like kind of kidding, but not I know, really. But um, not really. Yeah. Oh my god, I spent like two hours today rewriting like YouTube video descriptions. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, like it's just you have no idea. Audience, it's just it takes so much work to it do does. all this kind of stuff. To do and it you have all to, right. Like, to do it all right, yeah. And if you miss one little thing, like in the way you write your tags or your hashtags or yeah. you know, if you miss one little thing, you could be completely screwed. And so you have to you have to like watch tutorials on how to do it and like a lot of different kinds of tutorials and get different opinions and then you have to do it and then you have to try to experiment and figure out what you messed up and it's just um yeah it's the life it's of not an as entrepreneur. As, yeah it's not as simple as just like writing a cool post and everybody liking it that doesn't happen you know No and if you spend a lot of time making these videos getting somebody to edit the videos like you want to make sure you're writing a correct caption and actually that some people watch it so it's like yeah i'm just bleeding money at this point <sighs> Um, I mean, it's going really well. Um, I relaunched, I like launched my, you know, my new podcast with the new brand and everything. And so, yes, and it's going really well. People seem to be really into it. So, yeah. Anyway, so it's going well. So good. (laughs) Shall we? Let's, um, let's generate more discussions with our questions. Question number one is from A. Hi, I love your work and all the knowledge and time you devote to women like yourselves looking for health and happiness and struggling with everyday life at the same time. That was basically our whole introduction. As a mom of two whose 16 month old baby was a great miracle and a surprise born a week before my 44th birthday, I would want to ask, how do you take care of yourself, your health, your body, do some exercise and help your little ones grow happy and healthy. I barely have time for myself and I don't get a chance to burn the fat that my body accumulates in some places for my lack of activity. 
I don't pretend to be as I was in my 20s, but would love to move a bit more and feel myself, aka kind of an individual. These days, I feel motherhood brings to my days a bittersweet sensation, happiness, and stress. Thanks in advance. I know that Steph may have stuff to add at the end. Wait, can I just say one quick thing? Yes, please. Are you sure you didn't write this question? I know. (laughs) (laughs) I am not 44 yet, so that is how this is not me. Yeah. Okay, go on. Okay, here's the thing. So I want to just share a little bit about the differences between my two postpartum experiences, and in that there'll be some insight. First, with Stella, a lot of you were here. A lot of you knew. I struggled big time. I had postpartum anxiety. Stella was a screamer. She did not sleep. It was the hardest six months of my life. Transitioning to Maverick has been easier than the transition with Stella, even with two kids. And that is because Stella, of her personality, she's got an amazing personality, but there were just some challenges. She was, uh, she did have a tongue tie, which Maverick did too, but she did have a tongue tie and she was, she's my, she is my personality. And I consider that a positive. And she is, you know, uh, great and wonderful, but I had a very sensitivity to, a sensitivity to eggs. And once I pulled those out, that really did help. However, it was a, it's a huge transition. It's a huge struggle. The second time around, we had a lot, I think there was a lot of things that made it different and easier. One, I stopped being afraid of asking for help and I started accepting the help offered. So as women in general, whether you're a mother or not, I feel like we have this problem of accepting help. So when people offer it, we think that people are just offering just for the sake of offering. And the right thing to do is to say, no, thank you. I got it. But like, Thank you so much. You know, oh, I, you know, I so appreciate that. I'll let you know. I'll let you know if I need your help. And we never actually accept the help. Accept the help. That is what you do. So if somebody even just as so lightly mentions potentially putting together a meal train for you or, hey, we'd love to stop by and bring you a meal after you have a baby, say yes When would you like to do it? Like, (laughs) name a date and time, and I will accept it. I would also consider, you know, reaching out to people and saying, can you do a meal train for me? I felt really guilty, to be quite honest, because I was a part of a mops group that I only was able to go to for a few months before my back got really bad, and I couldn't couldn't go anymore. So I didn't have these established relationships with, with the women there, but there was one woman that was like the head of my table that was like, hey, I'm gonna set up a meal train. And three people, only three people signed up, but I will tell you what, those, those three meals were so helpful. They were, they came at times when I, my parents were gone. We didn't have any more help and we were like low on food and low and on sleep. And it was just like, everything's done for you. So it was just really, really nice. And I had a neighbor who I've only really seen like once offer it as well and say, Hey, can I, can I just drop off something from Whole Foods from you? And I was like, yes, please, you know, and I, before I would have felt sort of guilty for saying that, but, now it's something, <laughs> it's it's part of my being, which is ask for help. So even though you still, you're past that immediate postpartum time, I think it is fully okay to ask for help. And to be, to really show you a picture into our lives, my parents stayed with us for four weeks. They actually came back and stayed an additional two weeks, went home, did their laundry, got reset, come back, came back. And stay with us an additional two weeks because I had mastitis back to back. I had thrush. I, I had a, a viral infection. So they came back and got us to a point where I could come downstairs out of the room. And then my husband actually mentioned to his parents like, hey, we you guys haven't offered to help. Is that something you guys would be interested in? And my mother-in-law actually came and she said she offered and said, OK, well, do you would you want me to fly in and, and stay with you for a week? And we said, sure. And it was kind of awkward because, I you know, it's. It's a mother-in-law and she's going to be in your house full time. I'm so glad I said yes. I'm so glad I was like not, I didn't hesitate with that. And by 
the first week once she was with us, she said, do you want me to stay another week? And I said, yes, please reschedule your flight and stay another week. And she had really gotten into the groove of things. She helped us clean up. She helped us cook. She changed Stella's diaper, which was huge for me because then I really only had to take care of Maverick. She took care of her and took her outside to play. And so that was such a, those little tiny things were such a huge help. So one, ask for help. Even if it's like beyond the postpartum time, have, see if, how much your parents can stay and or be there for you see how much your friends and your neighbors can help you if you can drop your your kids one of the kids off your oldest kid off at a neighbor's house just for a few hours like it may be uncomfortable to ask but i would do it because people do want to give back and i'm that's my goal is like how can i give back to the people who who took care of me like my neighbor who took care of stella while i was on the couch and took care of stella while i was birthing my son so um do not be afraid to ask, too. I think it's really important to note that everybody feels this way, and it's not—you're not alone. And I think that that's been the most helpful thing. I, I posted something on my Instagram about how I was really struggling with breastfeeding because, y'all, it was really hard. Um, I cried a lot. I was in so much pain, more pain than labor. Um, we just had so many issues, and it— I posted something about that on Instagram and I got so many comments from people and I so appreciate that of just saying like, I have been there. I, I, oh my gosh, breastfeeding was so painful for me. I didn't know. It was just, I was like stuck in it. I didn't know what to do. I was crying all the time. Like just take it day by day. You know, I feel you solidarity. And that was so helpful. So if you can do anything to get into any sort of Facebook groups, um, Liz Wolf has a parenthood group that I recommend everybody get into. And I will link to it in the show notes. It is so helpful when you are just looking for solidarity or help or advice. We've had Liz on here and her parenthood group is just basically everybody that in this community um, asking questions, offering advice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the other thing that we've done, and I feel a little bougie for saying this, but we have outsourced our cleaning. So we no longer, it was like consuming us. Two adults working full time, now two babies. Like it, we just couldn't stay ahead of the game. So now we have somebody come every two weeks and clean our house. And it's the best decision we ever made. <laughs> and if you can do that financially, like for me, it was, can I justify somebody coming in and cleaning my house and what are the hours that I'm going to get back and what money can I make if I was able to put in that time and work. So for example, I do, I'm a beauty counter consultant and a lot of what happens with that business is me being able to put in the, just being able to put in the time to put, to work with clients or to put together emails or whatever. Whereas a lot of the other coconuts and kettlebell stuff is more passive. Um, and so I was like, hey, can I justify somebody cleaning and giving me back six to eight hours? And then, you know, does the money that I'm paying somebody to clean, can I make more in those six to eight hours? And that answer is yes. So that's something we outsourced. And that has helped tremendously. Just as like a final, because I don't want to talk about this too much. I just, I did an Instagram post about just radically going after and following your intuition, radically going after what is right for you and your body and following your intuition. So, you know, we are, as women, even in the immediate postpartum period, but let's just call postpartum, moms of tiny babies, you know, our goal is to, it seems like it's always to, we're being pushed, of course, constantly. Why don't you, you were cleared at six weeks, so you should probably start getting into your fitness routine and why you still got that mommy tummy that that belly why don't you try this 21 day flat belly thing and and try this detox tea which seems to be the new trend or this special drink and the special cleanse and and get rid of that belly and so that's what we see 24-7, right? We're constantly bombarded with all of the things. Women in general are, but especially in this postpartum period is a very vulnerable time. And the influencers in the diet and fitness industry know it. And so everything is about beating diastasis recti and getting rid of your tummy and getting back into your pre-pregnancy genes and getting back into your fitness routine, and it's just not realistic. It's not at all. You've just had a baby. You have these small things that you're basically spending 25, seven, 25 hours, seven days a week into. You're putting all of your time and more into these 
raising these humans. And so, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of like, oh, I'm, I don't feel like I'm putting time into myself. And I will say, as I've talked to a lot of women and you, it's, we all kind of say, look, it's, I think this is the most encouraging thing is, yeah, this is hard and it's, that's okay. And we can all kind of stick together in this. And there will be a time when it's not as hard. There will be a time when it's not as hard on your body because little babies and screamy toddlers are really hard on your body. It, there will be a time where you're not doing diaper changes all the time. There will be a time where it is easier to travel. There will be a time where you're not um, completely overwhelmed and your kid's waking up five times in the middle of the night and chewing on your boobs. And so it's just taking it day by day, being encouraged, knowing that you're not alone, that it is a hard time, and that we all feel it. And anything you can do to ask for help, to outsource things so that you can be taking care of your mental health, do it. And I can give you all these special tips about how to go after you know, take care of your health by, you know, buying my strong from home program. You know, why don't you try doing workouts from home? Or, you know, why don't you try having somebody do meal planning for you? Like, why don't you try prep dish? And these are those are great solutions, right? Prep dish is great. Meals, having somebody meal plan for you is awesome. Strong from home is great. I love my home workouts. That's what I'm going to start doing after I get done with my PT work. But it's not like going to magically change your life in a way that's like, oh, now I'm finally I've I've I figured it all out. You're still going to feel drained even as you're as you're working in these workouts. You're still going to feel drained as you're meal prepping and doing all this stuff, and that's okay. So I think it's really accepting and being okay with this is a really hard time, and I am going to get through it, and it will get easier. And then seeing what it is that you can do to make sure that you are taken care of. So outsourcing things, freeing up your time, and then seeing what you can do with that time, which is, yeah, I mean, if you want to, do a small workout from home. Go for a walk. Get a double, good double stroller so you can go for a walk. I will not apologize. I sometimes throw money money at problems. And I think, Steph and I have talked about this before. I, I'm like, how do I solve this problem? Let me see what Amazon has. And right now, my problem is my kid will not sleep anywhere other than on my body. And this is really hard on my body. So I just bought this like expensive swing to see if he'll sleep in that. And, you know, if if it doesn't work, I'm going to sell it on Facebook Marketplace, but it's fine. You know, it's just like, how can I find, if if $150 helps me for the next couple of months have a kid that doesn't sleep on my body, like I will take it. So, um, you know, get your support. Don't be, uh, don't be shy about it trying new things and seeing what works and yeah i mean team up with your spouse and make sure that you you both are on the same page and get all the help you can i do want to read actually um i didn't bring it up i do want to read what i quickly posted on instagram because i was saying how you know at nine weeks postpartum personally for me like i still feel pregnant i still feel my pelvic floor is really weak i'm working with a pelvic floor physical therapist i'm doing all the exercises i am on top of it and i still feel like crap um like now 10 weeks postpartum and you know if i let society drive my actions you know i would be going crazy the conventional wisdom is and the conventional expectations would be so terrible for me right? And so I said, women, those who have had babies will have babies or don't plan to. Never lose the innate intuition you have about your body and what is best for you. If it doesn't feel right, it's probably not. There's absolutely no reason to rush your health and fitness. This is not a race. Take the time to nourish your body and respect its needs. Take back the power. If you set, if it will set you up for success for the rest of your life. So, you know, this is not a race. It's not like I should be here. I should be doing this stuff now. Um, and even at 16 months postpartum, you know, with your second kid, it's a lot. And you do have the rest of your life to work on your your fitness and to build your health again and do what you can right now. But it's not a race and you don't have to be rushing towards something that isn't right for you and don't do anything that doesn't feel right for you. So anything to add, Stephanie? No, I, I mean, that was like, kind of exceedingly thorough um i know sorry (laughs) so much wisdom don't be sorry i feel edified 
This podcast is supported by Thrive Market, a membership community that uses the power of direct buying to deliver the world's best healthy food and natural products to members at wholesale prices. Go to thrivemarket.com slash wellfedwomen to sign up and get 25% off your first order. When you sign up for a membership, you're also sponsoring a low-income family in need with a membership. Thrive Market is like Whole Foods, Amazon Prime, and Costco combined. You can shop for thousands of health food and natural products that are 10 to 50% below retail prices and have them delivered to your door fast and totally free with a low minimum purchase. You'll find just about everything you can find at natural grocery stores on Thrive Market, plus more. And all of the food products are categorized by diet and lifestyle, making it easy to find allergy-friendly foods and snacks for your family. Get the highest quality products you love, minus the retail markup, and help American families thrive. To sign up and get 25% off your first order, go to thrivemarket.com slash wellfedwomen. Question number two is from S. Hi, Noel. I've been listening to your podcast for months, catching up on all previous ones you guys did, and it's been helping me in a lot of ways. After six years of calorie counting, avoiding gluten and dairy, and some other food restrictions, I got to my goal weight. Felt the healthiest and, in quotations, prettiest I've ever felt. A lot of compliments regarding the weight loss. I thought this was the healthiest. I really did. And then my period started to be inconsistent, and I got diagnosed with PCOS in February of 2018 followed by insulin resistance. As of today, it's been day 98 since my last period, but that's not why I feel like crap. For three to four weeks, I've stopped calorie counting and started my journey into a more intuitive way of eating. It's challenging, but most days feel good. I feel good and happier. A feeling of freedom. I mostly keep my healthy habits, but the non-calorie counting makes it more about my hunger level and how full or not I feel rather than a number dictating when to stop eating. The issue is I have a history of an eating disorder, and since being diagnosed with PCOS, the additional restrictions got me more obsessive and controlling around food. Some binge and Binging and purging has happened, averaging maybe about once a month, but recently since moving away from calorie counting, it's happened three times, and I can see these patterns can be something to keep in mind and work around, but I wonder. First question. Could the switch to intuitive eating be causing more of these binges due to freaking out of letting go of control? And two, is it common to have these challenges when starting intuitive eating, and is it temporary until intuitive eating becomes the norm? I'm grateful if you could have looked this email, give me some of your thoughts, love what you do. I think you're helping loads of people keep going. We need you. This is a great question. Um, great set of questions, I think. Um, I'm going to, forgive me, I have melted too far. I have to set up. Okay. <laughs> the chair. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't put myself in mute, so I had to explain <laughs> to you what you were about, what you were about to hear. Could the switch to intuitive eating be causing binges? Um, yeah. I, I honestly, I, I think it could. Now, this doesn't mean that you want to stop walking down this path. Usually, often when things are uncomfortable, I think that means we should move towards them, you know, as opposed to the instinct we have to move away, right? And so if you're encountering a difficulty with this, then it's time to dive into it, right? And you seem to already suspect that it might have to do with control. And that's absolutely it. Um, well, it has to do with control and it has to do specifically with control of your body size, right? The simple answer is yes. The complex part, the hard part is, okay, then what, then what, then what do you do about it? You know, there's a lot you can do about it. I think the approach that you take, I think is, it's definitely very, uh, it's very dependent on what is best for you. I know people who have said, you know what, screw it. I'm just going for it. I'm going to eat everything no restrictions at all, period. And maybe I'll gain weight, maybe I won't, but I'm going to learn that it's not terrifying to be out of control. Now, that probably sounds really scary to a fair number of people listening to this podcast. And it would, and, and I guess to some degree does to me today, because I, you know, I, I know that my body is one of those bodies that likes to carry weight. Um, and I have a very long history of controlling that. So it's very residual, you know, that, that instinctive reaction. Um, but this method has, and can be really successful. And it is in fact, often what people, um, do and go through in rehab facilities, you know, is just sort of, you eat what you're given, you know, or 
you eat uh, what you want and then your body, you just learn over time that like that it's okay and you do the psychological work necessary to be comfortable. I think one of the most important things any of us can ever possibly do for a relationship with food is be comfortable with the idea of gaining weight, right? Because it is as much as we might theorize about other things or like control in general, I think a really big piece of this for a lot of women and men, right, is just fundamentally, I'm terrified of gaining weight, right? Um, and so deconstruct that, you know, become comfortable with the idea of being heavier, you know, and that might mean uh, realizing that you judge yourself more harshly than you do other people. You know, I look at other people and understand that what you find beautiful about them at bigger sizes uh, it will also be beautiful about you, you know, and understand that beauty is very relative to cultural context. And we have these huge norms that are just that norms and in another culture and another time, you know, this other body types have been held up. And so it's all very arbitrary and uh, you can do it by focusing on how important this is for your psychological health, right? And feeling proud for yourself uh, for going through these difficult times and persevering and learning how to value your overall wellness over the specific shape of your body size. Those are some ideas. Um, but I think it's really important um, that while we're looking at ideas like control, we understand that at the bottom of that is basically just a fear of of, of gaining weight. Now, um, another thing you can do, of course, I mentioned just leaping into um, intuitive eating in that sense. You can also try to inch into it. You know, if you have a history of calorie counting and being restrictive, um, I would not recommend that you continue to count calories. But something that has often been helpful for me is having very general ballpark figures hovering around in my head. Um, and so I'm not obsessively counting or restricting, but um, it really helped me transition into not counting. And I do intentionally avoid looking at labels. I, I have a, a few times on accident in the last week or two, and I was like, oh, God, <laughs> oh, no. But doing that uh, can sort of help you inch from, from being restrictive and being in control to sort of um, relaxing into understanding like like following your normal hunger cues is 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 very cool now there's also could also be really big uh, physiological things at play right if you have under eaten for a long time um, then you can definitely predispose yourself psychologically and physically to when you start eating like if you tell yourself you're not restricted anymore then like the floodgates can be open because you have this like you know all this desire pent up you know dammed up behind you and so you can, like I said, you can manage that slowly and carefully. You can try to like lower the dam slowly or let it go, you know, and, and see what happens. And honestly, I've seen both methods be really effective. So um, I'll leave it at that. Do you want to talk about item number one and then I go to two or shall we? I will talk about item number one. What I will say okay. is that intuitive eating, it's not a replacement for therapy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So if, you, if, you if you have an eating disorder binging and purging is not normal eating behavior, okay? That is an eating disorder that I think there's a lot more right at the root of that. And so highly recommend getting professional help around that. And somebody can help you explore that work through some of the those that situation. And also intuitive eating can potentially be a part of that solution. It's not the solution, right? What Stephanie said was perfect, I think that why, you know, switching to intuitive eating causes more binges for people is because typically women, let's say, you know, women say, let's, let's pick a paleo one. I can't eat, I can't eat almond butter. I can't eat, I can't eat nut butters because I'll just binge on them. So I restrict, restrict, restrict because, you know, deep down, Stephanie just said what the root was. I'm terrified. It's got a lot of fat. It's fairly a lot of calories and I'm terrified of gaining weight. I can't let my, I can't trust my, my body can't be trusted. I need to be counting calories. I need to be on a diet in order to keep myself in control. And so we live that narrative for a very long time. We restrict, restrict, restrict. Sometimes we do these random binges where we can't stop eating almond butter. 
And then intuitive eating comes around and says, you should eat the almond butter and stop giving it so much power. And you say, no, 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 I could never do that. I, I just wouldn't stop eating it. And the whole thing is, if if you just stopped restricting it and giving it power, you, you wouldn't actually care about it anymore, <laughs> right? And so then you let yourself, you say, okay, I'm going to do this intuitive eating thing. I'm just going to eat almond butter when I want to eat almond butter. And you may eat it for every meal, every time you're hungry for 48, 72 hours, maybe even more, maybe four days. But there will be a time where you will say, I don't want this anymore. This sucks. It's gritty. Why did I even like, why Why did I even think almond butter tasted good? And then you don't really care anymore. And maybe you'll have it here or there with some carrot sticks once a week, but you can have it in your house and it doesn't have any power over you because you are breaking that cycle and changing your mindset around food. And I think that intuitive eating, eating is really powerful for people who have been you know, constantly, I mean, living under the canopy of constant dieting and calorie counting. And so the lens that you see the world through is dieting, counting calories, restricting foods, trying to maintain control. And that is where intuitive eating excels. It excels at changing your mindset, changing your thought patterns, honoring your hunger and your fullness, allowing that flow and the flexibility to come back into your life and to respect your body and what it needs and to discover what it needs. And there's going to be a lot of trial and error in that process. Um, agreed, Steph? Yeah, I, they these things take time. I'm in a place that feels very good for me. But honestly, that good feeling place has changed shape a lot. You know, it's been like reasonably good and meandering around a bit, but it was also many, many, many years um, in the making. And I'm not saying like, please don't feel defeated if I if I tell you it's gonna it can take a while. Like it it also like is usually always getting better. And if it gets worse, it's just a part of it getting better. So keep your keep your chin up, I guess. Is it common to have these challenges when starting intuitive eating, and and is it temporary? Uh, yeah, so I, I think I definitely stated my opinion on this when I talked about like the different the different approaches um, to intuitive eating. If you're going to leap into it and without uh, therapy, you know, like Noelle mentioned, if you're just going to sort of do it without being really intentional about your mind space. Uh, yeah, actually, I, I think it's not altogether uncommon. But if you're uh, really careful um, or do your best to be careful and uh, take care of your emotional space while you're doing it. I think, I think it's, yeah, it's definitely not like a, a thing for intuitive eating. In fact, it's the goal to sort of overcome these kinds of behaviors when you move into intuitive eating. This podcast is brought to you by the Nutritional Therapy Association, an organization that has been training and certifying nutritional therapy practitioners and nutritional therapy consultants in foundational holistic nutrition for over 15 years. Go to nutritionaltherapy.com to learn more about the programs which empower graduates with the education and skills they need to launch successful, fulfilling careers in holistic nutrition. I'm personally an NTP, and the nine-month program was instrumental in helping establish my own career in health and wellness. Go to nutritionaltherapy.com to learn more about each program and sign up for the classes which start in May or September of this year. If you do, be sure to put down Well-Fed Women as your referral, and you'll get a free copy of Coconuts and Kettlebells sent to you by me. That's nutritionaltherapy.com. Question number three is from Emily. Hi, Noel and Stephanie. Finally got my period back in March after being off the pill for a year and a half. I was on the pill for four years. I had horrible periods, but the pill... I only had a period for the first few months. I went to three doctors, got tons of blood work done. Nothing was wrong with me besides low vitamin D. I used to be orthorexic, but I've done a lot of work in the past year to gain the weight I need. Three months prior to my period returning, I reduced exercise, ate more, slept more, took Vitex, then got my period in March. The first period was 12 days. In April, I only spotted... May, I had a stressful month, including a move to a new state with my boyfriend for the first time. I lost my grandfather. I spotted for four days, started my period five days later. Bled for 18 days. On top of this, I've been having horrible bloating. 
I wanted to start Dr. Jolene Brighton's 30-day protocol that her book recommends, but I am very scared I will lose my period again. I already don't do dairy, drink alcohol, or have more than one cup of coffee a day. I'm afraid to cut out grains. I will not... Or, eh, I will not if create if I, I'm afraid if if I cut out grains, I will not have enough carbs in my diet since I work out five to six days a week, usually on the medium to high intensity spectrum spectrum. A little background on my lifestyle. I eat about two thousand plus calories a day, eating all the foods besides dairy. I eat a lot of veggies, lean meats, whole fruits, good fats, and whole grains. I wake up at five every morning during the week so that I can work out at six. But a pre workout meal like an RX bar of dried or dried fruit, and I usually sleep between 9 and 9.30. She's asleep wow. between 9 and 9.30. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> you sound like a mom. <laughs> Emily. <laughs> uh, no, no worries. Just slightly jealous. Okay, so to preface, Dr. Jolene Brighton's 30-day protocol, I have not looked into this specifically, but we did have her on the podcast, and she really specializes in periods not coming back after being on the pill, which is a common thing for women when they get off the pill. And it's she talks a lot about nutrient def- the nutrient deficiencies that the pill causes, for example, and or a lot of gut issues being this reason or being the reason that sometimes your period doesn't come back simply because you do need to be appropriately detoxing hormones and supporting your liver. And so I'm sure the protocol has to do a lot with that. And it's like a semi-paleo-ish approach and a low inflammatory diet. Interesting. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of um, complex stuff here, and it actually it leaves off in April. So I'm I'm very curious about what's been happening since since April. We know then that the cycles came back, which is great, and they came back after reducing exercise and eating more and sleeping more, which is wonderful. Ding, you ding, also ding. added <laughs> very wonderful. You also <laughs> added Vitex, which um, a lot of women do when they're trying to fix their hormone levels and will do it for a wide variety of hormone issues. Um, and so I'm not, and because I also have not engaged uh, Dr. Jolene Brighton's program, I don't know uh, if this is why you started the Vitex and for which specific, you know, uh, why. Usually it's used to modulate estrogen uh, levels in in some way. Now, um, you had a period with like, some bleeding, then less, then spotting, and then a very long, heavy period with bloating and some maybe some gastrointestinal stuff. Um, I am curious. Uh, Vitex can uh, be like pretty pro-estrogenic, and so that could be something that would cause your 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 bleeding to be really heavy. So I'm really curious if you have continued taking this and if you uh, have continued to have heavy bleeding. If that's the case, then I would look into removing it because I honestly think that probably um, the reducing exercise, eating more and sleeping more was more important for and the reduced stress was more important for your um, period returning than the Vitex. Now, I, I might be absolutely wrong about that, but it's definitely worth experimenting with. Um, cause even a supplement like that, you, you can be on it for a longer term, you know, if, if it does really good things for you, but it's ideal to, to not be of course. Um, and here again, we have another instance, which is very common and something that I have done many times in my life, uh, where you do something that's like a little bit extreme, but you like, definitely either think or talk about it like it's like super chill right like oh I only like exercise intensely six days a week that's actually quite a bit uh and so I am thrilled that you get a lot of sleep I think that's amazing if you are continuing to worry you know or struggle with regularity I would recommend maybe even um cutting that down a little bit further um there are way to get carbs without grains uh, or definitely without uh, gluten-containing grains, right? You can try uh, rice. Uh, you can try any kinds of fruits. You can get into the starches, the sweet potatoes and stuff. Um, I'm not sure if I have an opinion on whether cutting out grains at this point is really important based on what you said about the bloating and the pains under your left rib, and I would rather have Noelle address that because I think she would know that better. So I'm... I'm uh, I'm not going to fall down on whether I think eliminating grains is important. I think definitely keeping carbs is important. Um, 
and I would experiment with the Vitex and continue to think about uh, relaxation in terms of both exercise and eating. I think my answer is pretty short. I think the most beneficial thing to do here would be to get your your hormone levels tested again to make sure that there's not any major discrepancies. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of feeling like this is more lack of period because of um, hypothalamic amenorrhea and less about the period not coming back because of pill-related issues. Yeah, but I would, I mean, I wouldn't, it could definitely be both. Yeah. Um, and That's you true. wouldn't really be able to weigh in right, one way, right. you know, to know one way or the other. You know, if you are under eating and you're on the pill and then it's, you know, it's making your hormones for you, then it, yes, it, it it might make it harder for your for your period to come back. I would um, I would I would probably attribute it to both. And I know people like this, although you mentioned lean meats, which is just like it's something people say when they're. When they're trying to, when you know, when they're really still restricting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would just, I would think about that, you know. Um, yeah. Your food choices and why you're making them. Yeah. Same. The, the, the thing here, Emily, that I would say in my recommendation is I would first up your calories and reduce your exercise even more, which is going to freak you out. And I know you don't want to hear that. And you'd rather just do the a protocol and for your period to come back. But the fact that you used to be orthorexic and three months before your period re- returned, you reduced your exercise, you ate more and you slept more and everything started, it started to come back. I think there might I think maybe once you got, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you can email us back, but I feel like maybe once you got your period back, you might have upped your exercise again. Um, And so now it's starting to, you're starting to see the inconsistencies again. And I would stay on the path, stay the course, trust, trust your body, trust what it needs. I would continue. I think 2,000 calories is not enough. If you're saying, I eat 2,000 plus, and you're saying, I eat 2,050 calories a day, it's not enough, Um, especially for the amount of working out that you're doing. Uh, We recommend in our book a minimum of 2,500 if you're you're working out four to five days a week, which you are. Um, I would also say it might be a good idea to not, yeah, I I just kind of got a little bit of like, hmm. When you said I eat lots of veggies and lean meats and whole fruits and I only drink a cup, what was it, I, a cup of coffee, um, one cup of coffee or something. It was like, you know, very quantified. Don't You don't drink alcohol. You don't, do, you don't have more than one cup of coffee a day. And that's, not, that's all good stuff. That's totally fine. But I think what Steph and I see, seem to kind of, when we, what I perceive from that is that you still are very, you're quantifying everything that you do. And you're saying, well, I do these things and they're good and I and I limit this and I limit that and then I have these lean meats. And so it does seem slightly like maybe you are trying to still control your food and your intake of things and making sure that you stay, quote unquote, good. And so I would maybe consider before you do a protocol like um, Dr. Jolene Brighton's and which is great and it's all about low inflammation or lowering inflammation and all that stuff and eating nutrient-dense foods and re- you know restoring your body's nutrients getting a healthy gut supporting your liver all those things I think that you are doing that right now and I think it would be worth it to just up your calories make sure you're eating enough to support your body reduce your exercise even more so maybe only do two days of moderately intense exercise and those other days trying to try to do some restorative stuff like yoga or walking and see what happens, you know, do it for another three months and see what happens. I wrote a post called how to get your period back. I just published it. It's very comprehensive. I will link to that in the show notes. I would encourage you to read through that and try that first and see if you get some more consistency and see if how the bloating goes. I do feel like a lot of women who have struggled with orthorexia do struggle with bloating. Once they start eating foods again because they have restricted for so long, it just ends up leading to digestive issues, especially if what you're eating didn't have a lot of prebiotic foods um, to support healthy gut bacteria. So it may be worth adding in a good quality probiotic, starting to eat some probiotic foods. And once you kind of have your period... um, once you've worked through that, maybe move on to seeing, 
huh, what are my digestive issues here? What should I be looking at? Is this hormone related? Because, you know, your hormones can definitely impact your digestion. But maybe I have a little bit of a gut infection or some bad bacteria overgrowing or there's some uh, bacteria that's uh, like a dysbiosis. And that's causing my bloating. And that would be worth potentially working with somebody more professionally, like a naturopathic doctor who could teach you, say, okay, let's do a SIBO test and let's do a GI MAP test and just see what the con- what, how, what's the deal, what's going on in your gut. And then you can treat that versus chasing after protocols that you don't know if they're going to work. So try the other stuff first and then try... Dr. Brighton's protocol while keeping in mind you absolutely must eat 2,500 calories a day. And that, yes, if you need to slightly modify it and make sure that you're eating more carbohydrate or you're eating, um, you know, maybe some gluten-free grains like a like a rice or something so that you can really keep your your carbs up that or lots of potatoes, you know, you, that may work. That may be the best thing for you. So. Okay. Okay. Anything else from you? Nope. That was a fun one. Thanks, Steph. For more from her, go to paleofwoman.com. What's your new podcast called again? Naked Humanity. Naked Humanity on Apple all Podcasts. All hats. the things. All the things. Go find it. Yeah. For more from me, go to coconutsandkettlebells.com. Buy our book, Coconuts and Kettlebells, at coconutsandkettlebells.com slash book. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>